Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? It's Cynthia Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, look, today we are about to sit down with Jeff Stewart, and you may recognize that name if you've been listening to the show for a while. Jeff was, for a while, our most downloaded episode of all time. Uh, we had a great interview about a year and a half ago talking about the disclosure process, how to communicate to your wife about your issue. And I think there's a reason it blew up. Uh, it's very important content. Jeff is a brilliant communicator, and you guys uh, obviously got some value from it. And so I brought back Jeff to basically do a follow-up to our previous interview and talk about how to build trust again in a relationship when you have hurt your wife, you know, and she she feels like she can't trust you. She feels like you're a different man. Uh, she, you're not the person that she, you know, married or whatever. Maybe you're not married and maybe you guys are just dating or whatever. Either way, what we discussed today is going to be supremely valuable and I highly recommend that you listen to it. We talked about a couple other things, but that was really the central point was how do we rebuild trust? How do we um, get your marriages humming again after maybe going through uh, a betrayal and porn addiction and everything else? So this was a very robust interview. You're going to learn a lot. I want to encourage you, whether you're in a relationship or you want to be in one, there is practical wisdom here that could really change your life. And so I want to encourage you to take notes. Jeff's a very good communicator. And I think um, if you take this stuff seriously and you even take one thing, just, just aim to take one thing from this interview that you can apply to your relationship, you will notice a, different, a difference probably immediately. Um, I think that's everything. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jeff Stewart. Enjoy. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard have good motives and a God-given purpose, supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Okay, well, guys, I'm super excited to be back with Jeff Stewart, who was on the podcast probably about a year and a half ago, had one of our most listened to interviews of all time, actually. You guys seem to really enjoy it. And so I thought, hey, let's not mess with the good thing. Let's get the guy back in here and see if we can extract some more wisdom. So thanks for being here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Sure, appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, you did a great talk with my clients as well. Uh, we've had you in kind of as the disclosure expert, and it's brought a lot of insight and value to the audience at large here of Unleash the Man Within, but also, um, you know, my, my clients, you know, we were able to do a real deep dive and have a nice expert call with you. Um, I wanted to kind of do a continuation today, and this is actually your, your suggestion, and I know this is really your wheelhouse, uh, which uh, disclosure is part of it, but it's really the larger conversation of rebuilding trust in marriages. And I think some people are surprised to hear that getting free of porn isn't always um, enough to restore marriage. In fact, we know it, it's never enough, actually. Like, you can't just abstain from the bad behavior and expect everything to suddenly go back to the way it was before. So for guys who maybe are hearing this for the first time, that might be a shock to them. Can you help help us understand why it is that recovering from porn addiction, if pornography is what causes all the issues, the breakdown of trust and the sense of betrayal and, you know, all of the hurt and the bitterness and the resentment, if this was all caused by porn addiction, then why is it that getting free of porn addiction doesn't suddenly remedy all those other things? And this is going to sound a, a somewhat controversial, but it, it, because when it comes to intimate relationships, porn actually isn't the biggest problem. Hmm. There, there's such a fixation on the behavior, but but the but the actual damage that's being done to the relationship is is so much bigger than pornography, hmm. and and because you could you know you could almost insert any sort of behavior in the space of pornography, and pornography certainly has its own consequences, and it certainly damages the relationship in unique ways, just like gambling or drugs and alcohol or, you know, other behaviors that are addictive or compulsive or, you know, destructive would, would have their own sort of unique thumbprint. But, yeah, but there, but there's something about the, uh, the, in terms of the way it, it impacts the intimate bond, that's the stuff that you end up spending long-term efforts on. 
mm. which is around the hiding, which is around the the deception, the abusive patterns, the cruelty, the um, you know, just just the whole basically treating your partner like uh like less than human in a way yeah in terms of objectifying other people like there's there's just there's a lot of questions that come up about about your character about your uh your intentions your ability to be to have integrity i mean there's so many other issues that that if you only focus on stopping the pornography or on just the pornography Mm-hmm. Um, it it will really be incomplete because that's not the biggest issue long term. Yeah, yeah, I, I I definitely agree, but I'm I'm gonna play devil's advocate and keep pushing back on this a little bit. So let's say that somebody did go through one of our processes where we're not just teaching people how to white knuckle their way through something; like they're actually undergoing a transformation process. So they could come out on the other side and say, "Okay, I'm not just clean of pornography." But I'm more transparent. I'm not lying anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm being more upfront. I, I I'm a changed person. I'm not that guy I used to be. Why is there still a discrepancy? Why is it that the wives hear that and go, "Yeah, that's great," but we'll see. Like, why why is that not the clincher where it's like, "Okay, yes, I'm clean, but I'm also a changed person." Why is that even not really enough for for the wife to say, "Okay, that's great," and let's go back to the way things used to be? Right. No, that's a great question. And, um, truthfully, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, um, in a lot of cases, what you just described would, you know, would take the couple pretty close to a place where there would be a lot of trust and safety restored. What you just described is, you know, is, is definitely a ton of work and would, would make some pretty significant gains in the relationship. But, but this other piece of like, well, what if, what if it's still not enough? What, what is there still to do? Cause a lot of guys get to that point. Hmm. Um, I, I guess a couple of thoughts on that. One is that there's, there's not been any kind of actual resolution with her trauma around this, hmm. okay. where maybe he doesn't understand the deep impact he's had on her, you know, so, so in terms of him understanding her trauma, but also her understanding her trauma. So if we're going to work on, if we're going to take this into a couple's realm, there's only so much the individual, the the guy in this case could do by himself. Hmm. There there has, there has to be a a united effort at some point for her to start taking risks. And that's a lot to ask. And I have tremendous compassion and patience for how difficult and how scary this is for a betrayed partner. And it can feel really unfair to them to be in a place where somebody's asking them to do something when they feel like, you know, I, I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't do any of this. And that's true. They didn't. Yeah. At this, at the same time, staying in an an intimate bond with somebody always involves risk, even in a really great relationship, you know, when you're engaged and dating and everything's in the honeymoon phase. And even then there's risk. You're putting your life in someone else's hands. True. And so there's, there's, there's an inherent risk built in attachment and you try and rule out all the, you know, all the scary things or all the risk factors and so on. And, and you can do that, you know, like your example, a guy can remove all the risk factors. I'm clean and sober. I'm, I'm telling the truth. I've, I've told my full story. <clears throat> I'm living in a way that's, you know, really a way above the line, tons of integrity. He's removed so many of the risk factors, but she still has to take that risk and that involves um her her making moves toward him in a way that perhaps she swore she would never do after the betrayal yeah and and so so there's there's her part and then then there's this other kind of couples piece which piece which is them learning how to basically be intimate sometimes yeah. for the first time sometimes mm-hmm. this is brand new to them they maybe have never seen it in their families they maybe have never really had it with each other um, their version of what they thought was intimacy, uh, oftentimes needs to be created or recreated in a, in a healthier way. So there's, there's a lot more about bonding and closeness and intimacy that's now becomes a team effort hmm. after he's brought it all the way he can bring it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. What, what could a guy do if he's done, you know, as much as he possibly can, like you're stating, but for whatever reason, and, and again, as we said, like betrayed partners have their reasons and, and we, 
we approach mm-hmm. it with a compassion. They're not the enemy when they're, they're not willing to get help. What, what can a guy do if he is in that situation? How do you, how do you make the most of it? Because obviously, you know, you can't change another person, but are there things he can do to maybe influence his partner in that direction? Or does he just need to kind of keep focusing on himself and hope that, you know, eventually she'll, she'll change her mind? Yeah, that's such a, that's such a painful question, isn't it? Because so many guys are, are so determined and, and willing and, and they've really been broken and humbled and desire deeply to make it right. And I've, yeah. I've worked with so many of these guys over the years that are, that are really changed people. Like they, they really yep. deep in their bones feel so terrible and they're waking up to so many things. And, and to me, they're like, you know, they're, they're a, you know, they're a guy I would trust. And, and, you know, I, I just think that they're, they're, they're definitely a new creature, but, but when you've got a partner, a wife in this case, who is unable, and I'll start with that, unable to take that risk and maybe down the road unwilling, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that when you've got that in place, yes, I mean, patience is, is critical. You know, I think it was, it was Doug Weiss who, who talked about the hurry up guy and th- there's a tendency to, I think most guys that I work with are shocked at how long this is taking. I think most mm-hmm. guys, because if your brain has been primed with addiction or with compulsive behaviors, you're, you're primed for quick results or for resolution or certainty. You know, I, I do this, I feel this, you, you know, when you've trained yourself to expect a certain outcome, then, you know, at some level, even if you're like, well, I'll give it some time, you, you know, your brain is still thinking way less time than it's actually going to take. You're still thinking if I do A, B, and C, I can transact this into uh, rebuilt trust, security stuff. Like so, a lot of guys, yeah, they, they've got to throw out the timeframes initially. They've got to just surrender that completely and recognize that this will take way longer than they recognize. But, but let's get into that question of if if now you've thrown away the timelines, you've been patient, you you've broken down, you recognize this, and you're you're making all the space in the world. I think it's totally fair, and I don't have a time frame on this. I think it's important to to look at it and say, okay, you know, if you've got a guy that's betrayed his wife for one year of their marriage versus a guy that's done it for 30 years of their marriage. You're going you're gonna to have a lot deeper and bigger questions for the 30-year person that's basically been put on a performance all these years. Yeah. And there's more memories to sort through. There's more, you know, there, there's just more manipulation and years and years of deception. You have to recognize that the bandage has to fit the wound. And so if there is a a bigger, bigger hole here because there's been so many years and so many incidents or the, or the type of deception was so profound. You have to take a really honest, deep dive look at what have you actually done? Do you really truly understand the depth that this has had? And, and I'll just say, sorry, I'm going to, if it's okay, if I can just stay on this thought. Please. Cynthia. Yeah, please. Um, if, if you've got a guy that let's say has only been married six months and she discovers it. But, but he is the, you know, fifth guy in a long string of deep betrayals, including her dad or grandfather or brothers or other romantic partners, right? He may have, he may be, he may have only created, and I say only, he may have created a, to a lesser degree, uh, some betrayals that maybe feel a lot smaller than a guy that's been married 30 years, but he may step into her story at a time where she, you know, he's the last straw. Yeah, where he right. he's you know so every story is unique and you and as as the recovering person who's really trying to heal this, you really have to be deeply in touch with her wounds and understand from a compassionate place who you're with and who you're trying to rebuild trust with. And if you're just trying to apply this formula of, well, the research says it should take X amount of time, <laughs> and why aren't you there? Yeah, I've never obviously never seen that work. Um, now, are there occasions where it's critical for, you know, for him to maybe bring this up and invite her into doing more work, you know, therapy or getting into her own process or program. And she's just is digging in her heels. Yes. I meet with guys um, enough times. Over, I've met with enough guys over the years where their wife absolutely refuses to take any risks. She just can't do it. Yeah. She won't look at it. Those are, those are really tricky situations. And in, and in those cases, you know, guys have to make a decision about, what they'll do. And so tragically, some of them do feel like they need to move on because it's been years and years and years, mm-hmm. zero risk, zero movement. 
and it's and it's it's just one of those casualties of you know um and it's sad and there's a lot of grief and loss with that and i've had some guys move on but but i you know it's not something i'm telling them to do they just get to a point where they they feel like they don't have the capacity to keep trying to be in this one down position and never really be able to grow or thrive with this other person yeah that's wow. more that's more rare sure. um it's more rare. I, I, and I, I would never want a guy to hear this and say like, well, you know, she's not moving and it's been six months. I'm like, mm. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think, I think you have to really stretch and create more tolerance and compassion and, and capacity to sit with somebody's pain. Um, these examples that I'm giving oftentimes are going on years, even decades. Yeah. Yeah. It, may, it makes a lot of sense. You, you said something really profound that I just want the audience to hear. The bandage has to fit the wound. That is so profound. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think a very good adage to just bear in mind with all of this, um, because it's, again, especially when we're talking about a marriage, it's, it's no longer just the wounds of the addict or the one with the problem behavior. It's the wounds of the betrayed partner as well. And, and being mindful of that is, um, that's what that was really, really helpful. Yeah. Uh, what would you say? I wonder if you can just comment on people who, and, and you talked about the hurry up guy. Um, I love that. And yeah. I, I wanted to ask you this question anyway, and this is, it's a perfect segue. What do you say to people who are trying maybe just a little bit too hard to bring things back to the way they used to be? Um, cause I find that that's often a big fear of why, yeah. you know, guys wouldn't disclose in the first place. And we talked about that in, in our first interview with you. And I think most of the things that they're afraid of is, you know, it's basically lost, afraid of losing something, whether it's the relationship, respect, or the kids, the marriage, you know, whatever. And then, um, and then I think guys, you know, they, they go through this process, but the, the ultimate thing is like, I need to get free of porn so that things can go back to the way they used to be. At least initially, we find a lot of guys come into our, even our program with that kind of mentality. And I wonder if you can just comment on why that's a fallacy in the first place. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, the way things used to be is almost to me like a false reality. Um, hmm. only because if, if the way things used to be involved, you having information the other person doesn't have, or you living in a, in a place where you basically get to control their reaction to you by secrets or by avoidance, um, or you're supplementing things on the side as, I mean, a lot of the times the way things used to be involved a lot of, dysfunctional patterns that, that, you know, you may have been participating and or contributing or creating. Hmm. So I, I would have a lot of questions of like, you know, what, what exactly are you talking about? Like, what, what, what do you mean things the way they used to be? I would have so many questions about trying to understand what time frame they're talking about. Now, if they're talking about, you know, the good old days, the honeymoon phase, when maybe there was no betrayal, no secrets, um, and everything, everything was really easy and, and, and so on. I would just, I would basically say to that, well, um, you're, you're probably describing a time where you were both being driven by hormones. You're both being driven by infatuation and yeah. you really didn't have to do any heavy lifting. You didn't have to do any work. And, and to me, that's not deep. That's not long-term love. Yeah. Long-term, long-term love involves sacrifice and it involves, um, you know, all these fruits of the spirit, right? Compassion, patience, long suffering. I mean, to me, some of the most rich and sweet parts of my own marriage of 27 years, um, are, are a culmination of years and years of sacrifice, tears, struggle, hurts, hmm. and growth that, you know, I, I never, I, I would never want to go back to my 22 year old newly married self. Yeah. Or my wife. I, I was clueless and I was a baby and, so immature. So going back to the way things were to me is, is sometimes can be a fantasy of, of a life of ease or a life of not having to work hard or letting my hormones kind of push things forward yeah. or having, having external circumstances sort of like prop me up. Um, I, I think that, you know, a guy that's looking for that is in some ways wanting to kind of go live on an island in the Caribbean versus really learning how to, you know, steer a ship in the North Atlantic, as John Eldridge might say, you know, learning how to handle conditions and really work with this. It's so much more satisfying to really work with someone instead of just have things just sort of work all the time on their own. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so I, I would just have more questions about what exactly they're talking about because, um, that, that phase to me is oftentimes rooted in fantasy and a complete misunderstanding of what long-term love and commitment looks like. 
Yeah, and usually people also don't realize how good things can be because they've never experienced it before. Oh, I right? like that. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I go, that's I, so I really, true. Yeah, because I think I think if you don't know how good things can be, then you wouldn't. How would you know even what to like? You wouldn't know that right. you could actually create a new normal that's so much better. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like you're. It's like you're. You're like, oh, I don't want to trade in my big fat kindergarten crayons for this beautiful oil paint. So you know, it's like I. Yeah. <laughs> what you can create with these new tools and these new abilities is just so much more satisfying and beautiful, and has so much more depth than the scribbling that you do when you're just an immature. You know, I mean, I look back and I think, oh my gosh, like I thought I I thought I understood what love was when I married my wife, and um. I think it was the Indigo Girls that they have a line in one of their songs where they talk about being intimate strangers. And I thought, man, if that isn't the best line for early marriage, <laughs> it's like yeah. you're doing all these intimate things with each other, but you know, you're virtually strangers. And once you've really probed the depths of, you know, of, of years and years of being together and disappointments and hurts and betrayals and every couple goes through these really agonizing things. And it's like, you're not strangers anymore. You, you really do get to know yourself and the other person pretty well. And there's so much beauty. I mean, we talk so much about the struggle and how hard this is and all that stuff. And I don't want people to get discouraged. There is so much on the other side of that, that yeah. couples, couples, it's transcendent. And they, and they almost will, will say things like, you know, I would never want anybody to go through this, but I also would never want to take it away. And yes, you yes. have to be so careful about saying that because you don't want to be insensitive to people in the middle of it because it's real. Yeah. But at the same time, I think we need to speak truth about what's possible and why we're doing this work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that is, that is the reality. There's so much beauty on the other side. So you are doing a lot of work about trust and rebuilding trust. And obviously everything we're talking about so far has, it's kind of batting that subject around. But mm -hmm. I wonder if we can maybe get a little bit more granular and start with mm -hmm. a question that I, I don't think I've ever asked anyone. I almost can't believe it's taken me this long to ask somebody on the podcast to, to answer this. But what is trust? How, like, how, how would you define that, that concept as a starting point? Well, I think trust is, is about, you know, I think it's when you can relax with somebody. I think it's when you don't have to look over your shoulder. I think it's when you have a deep kind of known, like a, a knowledge that the other person is who they say they, they are. And, and there's a, there's a security. There's a, it's like, you don't have to um, verify or, you know, it's, 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 it's very efficient actually when you trust someone because mm -hmm. you, you automatically have all these assumptions in place that are based on actual evidence. So to me, it's about being relaxed with somebody, feeling safe with somebody, knowing, um, and believing that, that someone is predictable and reliable. Mm -hmm. And so trust, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, how do you define trust? And you ask anybody, it's like, you know, it's almost like you, you know it when you have it and you know when you don't. <laughs> yeah. But so it can feel hard to define, but it really is to me, it really is about um I mean I, I in, in simplistic terms, when people feel trust, they can settle in and they can relax and they 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 have a, a deep knowledge and an understanding that this person is who they say they are. Yeah. Yeah. I th I think that's really, really good. Mm -hmm. So if somebody I mean, I shouldn't say if somebody, I know that a majority of the married men who undergo recovery, usually when you start to kind of dig a bit deeper, hey, why are you in this position in the first place? Like, as in, why are you in recovery? What's on the other side of it for you? Somewhere near the top of that list, if not at the very top, is going to be my marriage or my future spouse. You know, th this is like very yeah. centric to just uh, a guy and his life and his well-being. Right. So for the guy who is early in recovery and he is aware that he needs to rebuild trust in the relationship, what are some good places to start? Or are there some, maybe some things that you shouldn't do that this is th things guys do that end up making things worse. Can you comment a little bit on that in those early stages of recovery for rebuilding trust in the marriage? Oh yeah, for sure. And I'll, and I'll speak to guys that are in a committed relationship. I recognize that there's some yeah. guys that are trying to become a trustworthy person for a future partner. And that's not this discussion. Yeah. Um, but even though some of the things might apply, so take what you can from it. But, um, but for a guy in a committed relationship, um, you know, there's gonna, and I'll just start with a discovery. Um, well, actually I'll back up from that. If you're in a committed relationship and you have a secret, and your partner doesn't know it, you actually have an opportunity to build a future foundation of trust. 
hmm. through through the crucible of of opening up. And 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 if if you have an opportunity to come forward with something, yes, what what you're going to do is you're going to plant an, an anchor, a precedent that basically says, "I'm committed to this. I want this. I will bring you the truth." I'm not going to manipulate you or hide you any longer. Maybe I have for some amount, you know, some amount of time, but I won't do it any longer. It's interesting because when when somebody is caught or discovered, that is a major hurdle that takes a long time to overcome, which is that belief that the only way I'm going to know the truth as a betrayed partner is if I ask the right questions, if I happen to catch them at the right moment. If, you know, if I do something to create safety, I, the burden is on me to now somehow prove that, that, you know, that this is reality. But but if you're the one that has the secret, if you're the one that's been in, you know, in crossing the line and and has this information, um, you, you have the ability to remove that doubt from their mind right away. And that's by coming forward and just being honest. Now, if you're scared to death, and you're like, oh, I don't know how I could just tell them I don't, you know, then it's okay for you to open up to somebody else about it, a, a counselor, a coach, uh, someone in your program and, and talk about, you know, your, your fears around that and in a sense, dress rehearse it, talk through it, help yourself get regulated with it and then bring yeah. it to your partner. Um, but yeah, there's no good time for it and it will create, you know, shock and disappointment and hurt. But again, you, you coming forward with that lays a block in that foundation that um, is a really hard block to lay if you don't, if you get caught or discovered. So I'll start with that. Coming forward with the truth is one of the biggest mistakes or not coming forward with the truth is one of the biggest mistakes guys make early in the process. Yeah. And and so once it's out, once the partner knows um, whether you've been discovered or whether you've brought it forward, um, and I'll reference back to the hurry up guy. This is, there's a lot of shock a lot of pain, a lot of, you know, depending on, you know, your partner dynamic, there's so many things that will sometimes impact the intensity of this. But one common theme I see a lot of the times is in all that chaos, a lot of guys will, they'll become dysregulated. And by that, I mean, their nervous systems will, will go into its own kind of fight or flight. Hmm. And so they, they will lose their emotional balance. They'll either shut down and get totally quiet and say nothing and just basically hide, which to a betrayed partner looks and feels like abandonment. Um, or they'll go into the fight mode, which is a lot of the times um, being defensive, trying to prove that they're not a horrible person, over explaining things, trying to hurry them up, not listening. So they'll get really reactive and try and contain the damage through aggression or through anxiety, you know, trying to control the conditions. And, you know, there's other, you know, we talk about fight, fight or flight, and there's freeze and fawn, and there's these other ones you read about. And sometimes those happen too. But, but in most cases, I see some guys either totally pull away or totally just become, you know, reactive and defensive. Yeah. And so one of the best things you can do early on in this process, when all this comes out and there's those early moments of intensity is for you to learn how to self-regulate, how to get some support, how to start, you know, learning and understanding how to become a person that's grounded and stable. She's going to be looking to you, um, I should say, as someone that, you know, she can lean against, that's stable, that's not going to make, you know, her life harder, and that's not going to become a piece of debris in the tornado here. I love that you touched on that, and I I can't stress this one enough. The whole just regulating your nervous system becomes so important yeah, because those those are really delicate times in the early yes. stages of recovery, right? And it's interesting how without this kind of regulation piece, you can almost make a bad thing so much worse unnecessarily. If and, and I, I mean, I'm I'm preaching to the choir, you know. Even though I haven't gone through that process of disclosure in my marriage, um, you know, having I got clean before that, but there are so many times, like even admittedly, like even last night, I was just a bit dysregulated. I should have just taken 15 minutes to like calm down a little bit. And then I could have had a great conversation with my wife, but I went in dysregulated and I just made it so much more worse. Been and there. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we all have. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, uh, is there anything in particular that you're guiding, uh, men, men through? 
to help them regulate, you know, in those, in those times where, yeah, they are feeling the dysregulation and they don't know what it's like to really calm themselves down effectively. How do you get somebody started on that part of the journey? Yeah. And I, it's, it's interesting because as humans, we're actually, we're actually not built to self-regulate as our default. We're actually hmm. built to co-regulate. Um, wow. And, you know, as babies, we don't come out of the womb, you know, independent and regulating our bodies. We need to be held by our parent, by our mother, our father. We need someone to help us warm our body up. We need someone to talk to us and look at us and touch us and, and swaddle us and pull us close. Like that's our nervous systems are primed for co-regulation. Hmm. And we don't outgrow that. It's not like someday we, we just basically, you know, become self-regulators. And, and so can we learn to self-regulate? Oh yeah, we need to like babies eventually learn, learn how to soothe themselves, but yeah. it's in the context of the safety of the foundation of the co-regulation that you learn how to self-regulate. So, um, so, so it's always co-regulation first, self-regulation second. So how do you co-regulate if your partner who, you know, ideally you're going to co-regulate with is, you know, basically has fallen through the floor with all their betrayal, right? How do you, if they've disappeared on you and they're not available, how do you co-regulate with them? Right. Well, you, you don't co-regulate with them, um, in the same way you might if things were safe. The way you co-regulate is you turn to God. You, you seek out a relationship, a spiritual connection with mm -hmm. a higher power or a higher being. You, you open up to people in a in a group, a, a therapist, a, a minister, um, a group member, a family member. You you start to have a chance to talk about and let someone witness and share with you, reflect back to you, you know your own worth and value. Um, hmm. Your partner, your wife, does not have the capacity to reflect back anything other than pain and trauma right now. Yeah, but you as a human being need need to know that you're not hopeless and that you have, you know, that you have the capacity for change and that you are a good person at the core and that you've been disconnected from your values. I mean, there's things that may, you might need to face, but at the core, that co-regulation is, is more of a soothing kind of action of like, you're going to be okay. This isn't the end of the world. Um, you still are good at the core. Like those kinds of messages are, are usually only you know, going to come from people other than your spouse in the, in those early days and weeks. Yeah. And a lot of guys will try and extract that out of their wife through things like, well, it's not like I did it all the time, or it's not like, you know, they'll, they'll try and sort of build a case to show that they're a good person and get her to somehow co-regulate them. And it's like, no, she's not going to be able to do that. And it's not fair to ask her to do it mm -hmm. um, early on. So seek out that co-regulation to help you get your balance. Now, in the co-regulation, you know, I'll just, I'll just use God, for example, you know, you're praying, you're meditating, you're studying scriptures, you're, you're, you're really trying to get, you know, a bigger perspective and feel that close relationship that you're not alone. And that, you know, there's so many, there's so many Psalms and, and wonderful verses around, you know, um, this relationship we can have and the safety we can have with God. And there's, it's, it's all attachment based. It's all, <laughs> you know, everything from a, from a hen gathering her chicks to, I mean, there's just so many things about being covered and, and connected and safe with, with God. And that stuff can, can regulate, um, our nervous system. We can let that really let us feel calm that we're not alone and that, you know, we're not in this big, scary world by ourselves. Yeah. Then, then that calmness allows us to start breathing a little bit. And then maybe then we can start breathing. We can start, you know, um, moving our bodies. We can start doing proactive, healthy, pro-social things to start getting our emotional balance back. And then we can bring that strength to our partner from a place of, Hey, I've, I've made some serious mistakes. I've hurt you deeply, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to manage me. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, so that's, that's an incredible gift you can give your partner early on is, is really getting your bearings, um, through that co-regulation and then bringing that strength to her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've seen the other side of it too. Like we're obviously kind of talking about, you know, it's, it's a really delicate time and you, you don't know what the wife's going to be going through. And we're kind of presuming that the wife has a negative response, but I have seen it the other way as well, where I think, the wife kind of suspected it all along. She wasn't really that surprised by it. And she was so proud of her husband or grateful. 
her husband actually reached out and these these couple of weeks can uh, first couple of weeks of recovery can actually be quite bonding and 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 I don't I don't want to cast um like something too idealistic here like there's still some questions and conversations that need to happen but sometimes you do have a, actually a great response from the wife and mm-hmm. uh, this kind of co-regulation is is actually happening quite quite naturally so I I like the distinction that you drew there tell me a little bit about um beyond that so l- let's imagine people are maybe months into recovery uh, maybe even a year or two, you know, and, and really seeing progress. What are some of the do's and don'ts for rebuilding that, that trust in the relationship? Yeah. And I, I'll just say real quick, I agree that I'm glad that you, you put that other side of the continuum because there are yeah. cases where, where it's, um, you know, where it's a very bonding thing. And, and if you have that kind of a situation, then, um, then, yeah, count, count yourself very fortunate because that's really, it's really sweet and, um, you know, you can get into that co-regulation with your spouse a lot sooner. Um, so long-term, the, the stuff that happens is, you know, when we talk about integrity or about trust, it's really about making sure that you're, you're doing your own work. Um, there's a t-shirt that I bought, uh, from a group out of New Zealand that's on it. that says, she is not your rehab, right? Which <laughs> I think is so great. So a lot of times guys will sort of just kind of gauge their their wife's response to see if everything's okay. And then they drop out not really doing their work. And so they'll mm. be like, well, she seems to be in a good mood all the time or she seems to be happy all the time. Uh, so yeah. I guess things are better. And so a lot of the times that puts the pressure on her to basically kind of fix your marriage. And so if a guy is, you know, committing to a process or a program like yours or, you know, they're, they're, they're working steps and they're they're really learning about themselves doing that work um really takes a tremendous burden off of her to in terms of it lowers the risk of her having to choose back in it makes it mm. makes you a safer person makes you more predictable mm. um and then of course just living in transparency you know like like you said your example the other night last night where you're like man I should have just opened up about how dysregulated I feel well exactly those are the kinds of disclosures that I want guys doing yeah. Um, you know, early on, it's going to be about behaviors that are crossing lines, but later on, it's going to be about emotions and about, you know, struggles and stuff like that. And that's something you have to learn. That's something that is practiced, um, mm. to where you can say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, this is what I need tonight, or this is where I'm struggling or pretty feeling pretty low and overwhelmed. And, um, you know, Hey, can we, can we, you know, do X, Y, or Z? And, and that, that kind of stuff creates a lot of safety because it shows her, that you're paying attention. It shows her yeah. that you're holding the line, you're protecting yourself and the relationship. And and where she doesn't have to keep asking or checking or, well, how are you doing or whatever, you know, she's not fishing for her own safety anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what can guys do to contribute to that safety other than what you've talked about? So like we're talking about transparency, taking initiative, having that regular disclosure of like, you know, big things, little things. I think it all goes a really long way. Um, is there, you know, I don't know, is there any other practical things that, that guys should be looking out for to, you know, help their partner feel more safe and just really solidify like, hey, I'm a trustworthy person. You can trust me. Yeah, I think a big piece of it is being able to handle her emotions. Like, you really like deepening your capacity and the container, if you will, for holding uh, a lot of the big feelings and emotions she's having because she's going through a yeah. process of really understanding herself better and even understanding you and the relationship. And so, you know, if you've got a situation where there's been deception, where there's been, um, you know, years of, of you know, double life, et cetera, uh, you know, she's having to put together a lot of, she's really going to go through a lot of grief and sadness around what she thought things were. And there's just going to be a lot of, and this is, again, this is less about the pornography per se and more about just uh, being lied to or some of the those deeper betrayal dynamics. Your yeah. capacity to listen, your capacity to um, not become defensive and to be curious and to stay regulated yourself and to just stay in, in just deep remorse and compassion and really grieve with her, mourn with her, let enter that process of sadness and loss with her and not leave her alone in that will do so much to rebuild trust because um, she'll just know that she's not alone in this. It's like we can face anything um, if, if we're with somebody else and she's mm-hmm. wanting it to be with you. She's wanting it to be with you. She can go talk to somebody else 
and she'll feel a little bit better, but she'll feel a lot better if the person who hurt her cares deeply about and stays with her in that process. And that oftentimes feels like the last thing that you think would be helpful because you're mm-hmm. like, well, I'm the biggest source of pain on the planet. Why would she want to be close to me? <laughs> and it's like, but you're also the biggest source of comfort on the planet. And you're the one she's wired to want to care about. And when you can show up in that way as both a source of pain and a source of comfort, um, that's really the the full experience that I think will heal trust at a deeper level. Yeah. And it is one of the beautiful byproducts of recovery is your your emotional container, great metaphor, that mm-hmm. just naturally starts to expand because I think That's when right. you are wrapped up in porn addiction, you become a very selfish person. Like your container mm-hmm. shrinks, right? Because you really only have your own interests in mind or at least prioritized. Mm-hmm. And I think naturally as you start to become a more selfless person and you start to heal through trauma and build your emotional um, you know, skill set and whatever else, that container starts to expand and enlarge in. Totally. Do you have do you have any go tos though for a guy who's maybe like I mean honestly this is like the area I've probably had to work on the most over the years. I started with a very small container for a bunch of different reasons. Um, is there anything in particular that you would help a guy um, or guide a guy through to enlarge that container? Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of guys will, um, and I don't know how your your program is set up, but you know when guys hear other other people's stories, let's say they're sitting in a twelve step meeting or in a group therapy or some kind of program, they're listening to other people tell their stories and they're looking at their watch and they're feeling impatient and they're just kind of annoyed having to listen to other people's stuff. Surprisingly, that's to me, that's one of the best places to start practicing opening up compassion for someone else. Hmm. And and you're expanding your container because what happens is you're learning to see another person as a person separate from you. You're starting to make a space for someone else's lived experience and so I think it's powerful to put yourself in a position where you can really listen. And so even if that's listening to a podcast about somebody else's story or reading about that or, or starting to see somebody as another human, that's a really safe and um, I think easier way to start expanding that container. Because if you're trying to do that right out the gate with your wife, your own defenses and your own shame are going to come up. And shrink the mm-hmm. container back because yeah. you're going to be afraid that you're going to lose her. You're going to feel like you're going to prove something. But when it's somebody else, you don't have a dog in the fight and you you have the ability to just listen. And so when you notice that you're feeling bored or you're feeling checked out, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I went to a men's retreat um, a while back and 50 other guys and and some of these guys were sharing their stories. And even though I'm a therapist and I listen to people's stuff all day long, you know, I was there working on myself. And I remember noticing that I was sometimes kind of checking out or getting bored or sort of like zoning off a little bit. And I remember the facilitators reminding us that that's a place to practice the compassion we want to bring back to our other relationships. That's a place we want to practice Mm. expanding ourselves as as humans to be able to make space for other people. And it's true. It's true. When I remember coming back home and it's like I had way more room for my wife and my family. Hmm. Okay, so that's God. that's an easy place to start. Yeah. Do you have any any guidelines for like um, tech engagement? This is something I've been picking at people's brains about a lot lately because, uh, well, it's it's my, my wife and I talk about it all the time. But I think now we're about to become parents, and we've been talking about you know our kids engaging in tech. So we'll save yeah. that conversation for another day. Uh, but uh, but as far as like, because I I hear what you're saying, right? Like there's there's these moments where we have a tendency to we check out. Uh, yeah. We tune out, we distance a little bit. These are the moments where we actually really need to consciously re-engage. And that's how you actually start to build that muscle of like giving people your undivided attention and enlarging your um, your emotional capacity. Um, how, do, how do you think tech or tech engagement plays into this? And I, do you have any rules personally for how you engage or disengage with tech to help with that? Oh, yeah. Like... Um, and this is way bigger than just porn. In fact, I, I just uninstalled Instagram and Facebook from my phone a couple days hey, ago. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. Um, and not because I'm against Instagram or Facebook. I do a lot of my business stuff on there and my assistant runs a lot of it for me. Yeah. But I just decided I'm going to use it on my computer and you can use Instagram on a desktop. And so I'm, I, I just, it's more clunky and, and it's, there's more friction. But for me, it was like, I noticed that I was turning to it too much just to deal with boredom. And I didn't like that. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm less present. I don't want to be, you know, just sort of like beholden to this like impulse. 
And so to me, it's not an all or nothing thing of like no tech or, or all tech. It's, it's really about understanding your relationship to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of great tools and resources. You know, some people find accountability software really helpful. Some people feel like it's, you know, too clunky or too difficult or gets in the way or they want to, they want to use other things. So I, I, I don't really have a hard and fast rule about use this software program and this will make you safe. I think it's really about taking an honest inventory about understanding your relationship to it. So for some people, they, they're at a place where they're like, you know what? I honestly have no capacity to even say no to anything. And so, um, I'm just going to completely switch to a different phone, um, mm. a flip phone or a, you know, a gab phone, or I'm going to use some kind of, I'm going to just change up the device completely. Like for me, I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to set a timer on, on the app for Instagram or Facebook. I'm just going to completely remove it for now. I don't know if yeah. I'll put it back on. I don't care right now. Yeah. So it's kind of like if if you're going to be honest, right? If 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 the eye offend thee, pluck it out kind of thing. It's like <laughs> if there's something that's not working, go ahead and just put a boundary around it and you could always change your relationship to it and it might make things yes. a little more difficult for you know your workflow or whatever. But I've I've seen people do really creative things as workarounds and getting regulated in your own body, keeping your integrity intact for yourself and for your relationships. I mean, those are the driving principles here and your your tech has to support that, not undermine it. Mm, man, that's really good. Yeah, that's that's really good. And you used a, a really good phrase there, like you're changing your relationship with these things, right? Because we don't want to be like too all or nothing about it. No. It's, it's really a lot more about, yeah, it is about just altering that relationship so that it's healthier and that it's actually serving you and not hurting you. Absolutely. And um, and we're in a relationship with these devices, you know, long-term, N- none of us can yeah. live in the 21st century and act like we can just break up with all of them and just not have to deal with them anymore. That's just not a thing anymore. Um, yeah. and you know, even with kids and phones and schools and stuff like that, I mean, as much as I would love to live in this utopia where, you know, kids can just write on chalkboards and never have to touch a computer at school and focus on their learning. I'm also seeing where the devices really open up a lot of cool opportunities for these kids in schools and they they can learn how to use them. So to me, it's about learning how they're affecting you and how to drive them. It's like driver's ed. It's like we have to just yeah. really understand how to pilot these things and work with them because they're here to stay and they can do a lot of good. And um, I think the rhetoric around, you know, tech is bad or et cetera, that kind of stuff is just totally unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you're, you're just, you're going to miss out, you know? And yeah. I, I think, I, I think, you know, for, for me, like I also have not, I don't really have social media on my phone. Uh, we post on so, uh, several platforms multiple times a day and I'm, I'm very grateful to have a team that helps me yeah. do that. I, I build most of my content in a Google doc, you know, and then I'll just go online and check and see how people engage with, with posts as I need to. But, um, yeah, it's going to be different for everyone, but I think it, it really is about just having a, a healthy relationship, you know, and that, that will look different mm-hmm. from one person to the next. Uh, Jeff, this has been so helpful, man. And obviously, uh, the, the main concept here today has been about rebuilding trust. And I know that you have built a lot of resources for guys who are going through this process. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of those things and any, any other ways that you'd like the audience to maybe go check your stuff out? Yeah, I've got a few resources. I appreciate the chance to talk about these. Like I, I have a podcast that I, I do actually with my wife. Uh, she's jumped on and been a fun co-host and it's called From Crisis to Connection. And so that's available anywhere you get podcasts. Awesome. Um, but I also, I also built a, a 12 week trust building boot camp course that, uh, gives guys some foundational and, you know, long term support for, uh, rebuilding trust and becoming a trustworthy person. And I have a, I have a sort of a, an introductory miniature version of that course that you can download for free. And I'll send you the link for it. Sophia, so you can put it in the show notes. Sure. Um, that, that uh, gives you, you know, information on what to do when you're betrayed, when you're the one that's betrayed the, the trust and some couples resources. And that's a great introduction. And a lot of people say that that, that course, that smaller course has, has been a game changer for them. And so I, I know there's wow. some good stuff in there and, Um, and if you want to take it further, I've got the bigger trust building course that you can do, but those are the resources I built and that, that, uh, so much of my work focuses on is, is helping couples and individuals navigate through this, the tricky waters of rebuilding trust. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And like I was telling you, this has been a real particular area of interest for me in this season as we kind of look to see how else we can be supporting our guys. And so I'm so grateful for you, man. I'm grateful for these resources. 
We'll link everything in the show notes. And uh, in the meantime, just keep up the great work, Jeff. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Well, there you have it. That is Jeff Stewart. That's another banger in the books with that man. Really, really grateful for him. Look, go check out his stuff. You know, he left a bunch of free content. He's got the boot camp. He's got the training. These are easy ways for you guys to capitalize on some really legendary content that I know is going to be life-changing. And look, if you were listening to this episode and you're saying, Sathya, I know I need, I'll, I'll get there, but I really have this porn problem and I need to take care of this first. You're in the right place and you're, you're listening to the right people. Um, we can help you with that. So I've actually designed a program called Deep Clean and we help people quit porn um, in 120 days or less. This is the most comprehensive solution we know of on the market. It's all inclusive. You get one-on-one coaching, group coaching, a community, and you get my Deep Clean system. This is the stuff that we talk about here on the podcast all the time, but you get it in way greater levels of depth and impact. And if you know that porn is putting your marriage, uh, maybe your family, maybe your professional career, your relationship with God at stake, uh, please stop playing with fire. Get the help that you need. And go check out Deep Clean. This is we're very very low pressure, uh, but we'd love for you to book a call with our team. We'd like to see uh, what your situation is, and if we can help you, and if it makes sense, then obviously we'll we'll offer uh, for you to join the program. And if it doesn't, then we'll find another solution for you. Uh, you know, the, the reality is, of all the people that book the calls, I would say probably about thirty percent of them actually end up in our program um, because you know there's just there's various reasons, but for the most part, we just don't feel like we can properly serve. Uh, the other 70%. So we're picky that way, um, but we just try to make sure it's a win-win. The link is in the show notes. You just have to book a call with someone on my team um, and then everything else follows through from there. There's some videos that you'll get sent as well to explain what we do and what you can expect uh, on the call and from the program if you end up doing it. So that's everything for today, guys. Link is in the show notes to book a call. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you share this with somebody that you think could benefit from it as well. Hey, love you guys. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast, and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.